My guest on this week's episode of Sudden Search is Garrett Meredith, CEO of Directive. Garrett is an in-demand conference speaker. A few places you may have heard him present include State of Search, Digital Summit, Share 16, and SMX West. Garrett is an excellent podcaster and frequent podcast guest. After this episode, check out Garrett's impressive podcast called SaaS Marketing Makeover. This was an episode that I thought would go one way and ended up going in a totally different direction. I was struck by Garrett's perspective on entrepreneurship and the business side of agency life. Garrett seemed to have an almost endless amount of tips about how to pay employees, how to develop internal culture, and how to grow and scale an agency. These are the same tips and strategies he's used to build directive to over 100 employees. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Garrett Meredith. We'll talk about SEO for SaaS companies. He'll tell me how he's used LinkedIn and gift cards to drive ridiculous sales numbers. And I'll spend a little time talking about the $70,000 minimum wage at his company. All right, Garrett, welcome to Suts and Search. How are you doing? Good. Glad to be here, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. This is an awesome show. Excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you. I wanted to start with a question I got from Greg. So I was preparing for this interview. He's telling me you've got a strategy for using LinkedIn. It involves giving out gift cards. Yep. Uh, do you know what he's talking about? And can you tell our audience a little bit about this strategy? Yeah, man. I'm like Santa Claus over here. We just uh, <laughs> handing out gift cards. So, no, you know, what we were trying to do is solve this, like, I like to look at marketing as, like, fundamental problems that we're kind of struggling with and based off the technology or the reality we have. And so the problem I was trying to solve was – when you sell a high average order value product, it's traditionally to a specific audience, a niche. When you do that, Google Ads has some fundamental flaws in that Google Ads does a very poor job, if any, with firmographic targeting. Yeah. And so let's say you're an SEO agency like we are, and there's a thousand people searching for SEO agency a month. I need people who will pay my minimum fee, which is going to be much higher than the market, right? A lot of these SEO shops still don't charge a lot, right? So I got a lot of people who can't afford us. And then I only want software companies. So mm -hmm. now I go from a thousand people to almost no one. And then if you niche and you just target SaaS SEO agency, there's not a lot of volume. So you can't really scale. So that's kind of the problem on Google ads. And on paid social, you have a really high cost per download of these assets but then if you call somebody who downloaded an asset, they don't want a meeting. They're at the informational stage of the buyer journey, oh, not the right. purchase stage. And so we were using gift cards to see if we couldn't essentially incentivize people from apathy to a sales action. And it's worked really well for us. So as simple as just like a Starbucks gift card or an Amazon gift card. Yeah. And what yeah. that allowed you to do is get from that information portion a little bit further down the buyer journey. Is that, is, is that how I'm to understand it? Yeah. Yeah. So what we did is we built out a financial model and we took all our pricing, our gross margin, lifetime value, customer acquisition cost, And we kind of built out, okay, how much can we afford? How much can we pay for a demo? Let's say, right? Okay. So if you have a cost per demo, the goal shouldn't be lowering your cost per acquisition. It should be lowering your cost per demo in any way yeah. possible. And what I found is these auction-based environments we all operate in, um, lowering your cost per acquisition is much more difficult because it's an auction. So every time a competitor enters or wants to pay more for something, it drives up your price. Mm -hmm. And so instead of trying to optimize towards decreasing customer acquisition, what I wanted to do is optimize towards increasing people who are willing to take a demo. And so I focused more on activation than acquisition. 
And so we're using the gift card to improve our life cycle stages and our activation rate. And we'll measure it out. So I found across over a million dollars, I spent about $1.5 million on research and development wow. here. So it's a, it's a significant investment. Um, I found we, for example, have a much lower cost per demo if I give someone a $100 gift card than if I do a $50 gift card, no gift card, or even a $250 gift card. Hmm. So I've also tested a lot of different amounts to kind of see what motivates people. But yeah, gift cards has been a huge part of our strategy here. What an awesome experiment. Well, I love it. And you, you mentioned this at the beginning that you're, you're really known as an expert for software companies, for SaaS companies. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to learn more about that. It's like, uh, we're both SEOs, but I don't yeah. work in your world at all. You know, how do you, how do you come up? Uh, how did you begin to work in that niche? Were you always doing this? Were you working at a place where this is what they did? And that's, you just been doing it ever since, or how did you, how'd you find software? Yeah, I mean, so I started this thing straight off Fiverr, so I didn't really ever work anywhere. Um, so I was just selling social media calendars for like five bucks because you didn't used to be able to charge more too back when I was doing Fiverr. So um, no, I was actually local. So I mean, yeah, that's awesome. how I know, you know, Greg from your shop um, yeah. was from the local SEO scene. So I somehow met Darren Shaw and Darren got me on the Moz local recommended list and I landed Allstate when I was like 23 or 24 years old and we've Jesus. had him ever since. And so I kind of got into SEO on the local side and then we kind of went B2B and we went B2B. We naturally just started getting a bunch of software companies. I see. And I was reading some book on branding. It was like, who's your biggest clients that pay you the most that you have the most success with? And it was software <laughs> companies like, cool. Why don't we just be software? So that was about it to be honest. Yeah. Uh, never looked back from local. I like it. So I'm curious, like what's some unique things about this? Again, I don't know much about this world. Are you yeah. using the same SEO tool suite that all the enterprise guys and us are using? Is this like Ahrefs, SEMrush, Moz type tool suite? Or are there specific yeah. tools or even maybe specific ways of using those common tools that lend themselves to doing SEO for SaaS companies? Yeah, I mean, we're doing that, but we're, we're having to come up with a lot more methodologies. So what I'm trying to do, so like, you know when you do, let's say, a keyword research map, you might have top, middle, and bottom of funnel? Yeah. I'm trying to move away from seeing SEO through the lens of organic and more through the lens of revenue. I see. And what, so I built a methodology where I try to build keyword research around acquire, sell, retain. So what I, everything I try to do is I try to translate SEO from being a marketing function into a business function. Smart. And so I'll ask the question, okay, what kind of content do we need to acquire customers? What type of content do we need to sell customers? And then what kind of content do we need to retain customers? What that'll start to allow me to do is start to operate from a larger budget, which will let me drive larger strategy for, for an organization, for a client, because the type of work I'm doing is directly tied to the way the business operates, which is acquiring, selling, and retaining customers. Hmm. And so I try to take everything and make it – like I don't do SEO. I do marketing that sometimes lends itself to the organic channel. Gotcha. And so I try to always remove myself from the tactical output of organic traffic to the business outcome of acquiring revenue at a lower cost per acquisition through the organic channel, if that makes sense. It does. It seems like you're playing, uh, you're playing chess instead of checkers. I like it. Um, well, listen, there, the other thing I thought of is there's some these like big developments in SEO. Think about like eat and policies yeah. for Y and YL. Uh, 
are you, you know, I'm wondering if you're like somewhat immune to these things. Like some of these big updates, like thinking medic from a few years ago, you're just in this interesting yeah. spot where it's not local where you play. It's not YMYL either. Is it just like pretty smooth waters where you are? Or do these, these uh, updates really impact your SaaS clients as well? I mean, you know, we got some big websites, you know, like that are non SaaS. Like, so we just still have some like big, big websites here, to be honest, that we manage. So we will get affected by those. Now, those are very, you know, we'll have somebody like a uh, coupons.com or something, right? Like those are big websites, lots of technical SEO opportunities, lots of just content opportunities at scale, just massive CMS type optimization, like, like just a lot of more scale SEO stuff um, where we'll see that. But in SaaS, no, because I'm not selling SEO. I'm trying to s sell brand discoverability. So I'm trying to s ask a very simple question. When a customer searches for the product or service you sell, are you discoverable? And where are you discoverable? Are you discoverable in G2, Captera, software advice? Are you discoverable organically? Are you discoverable in a search ad? Who's your exact total addressable market? Who's in that TAM? How many impressions are they receiving of your brand? So I try to remove all of the technical parts of marketing. Now, our team here, outside of like me and the people selling and being more positioning oriented, they're all technical experts. Like they are amazing at all these functions. Mm -hmm. The problem is you can't sell someone a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar contract by, you know, improving uh, time to first contentful paint or whatever, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. just not what how you sell at a higher level. And so – and then SaaS companies don't have a ton of pages, man. So it's like – the strategy is less about how many SKUs you have and then, you know, what your product page layout is or category pages or, you know, like the kind of the – like there's so much like local, right? Like we still do every agent in the country for Allstate. So like that is a very different type of SEO than like B2B or SaaS SEO, which is much more strategic and less SEO and more strategy and content, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I'm curious as you go to market with this strategy. I can yep. see some people really loving it. Like you're not, I'm not trying to sell you organic search or whatever. I'm trying to sell you revenue. Yep. Have you found that some people aren't ready for this message or you're, you're sort of just ahead of it and that you get some blowback from prospects and maybe that's okay. But I'm curious if it, do, do you ever find it to be a challenge when you're selling this uh, to, to SaaS businesses? No, because SaaS, I do actually, I'm, I'm not sure this is empirically accurate, but it's gotta be pretty darn close. They, they pay the most in the world for marketers in house. Okay. Like, the the market you the cool part about serving SaaS and the hard part is our clients are killers. They are you're not playing in this like the reason I had to pivot our strategy is they don't care about SEO. Yeah. yeah right. It's not like I cared more than like you know what I mean? At some point you have to be like, all right, am I really driving that much revenue? And they've got the right infrastructure and I can see it all. And I'm like Okay, SEO, the way most people does it, has diminishing marginal returns. Like, they're driving MQLs, but MQLs aren't turning into SQLs or ops. So you're driving organic traffic, and you have diminishing marginal returns on pipeline. Okay, I think the playbook's broken. Let's come up with a new one. And that's kind of how you know, we have what we call customer-led SEO. So we try to understand the jobs to be done of a SaaS company's ideal customer persona. And then we start to bake the strategy into jobs to be done. So it's all customer-centric. And we, it creates what I call functional content. So functional content addresses the fact, I always, whenever I speak, I like to make people laugh and ask them like, hey, how many of you are really good at getting your thought leadership, your thought leaders to consistently create content for you? And then everybody kind of laughs, right? Because anyone who 
knows what they're talking about, it's hard to get them to actually create, right? And so what I'm looking at is like functional content, scalable types of content that I can directly integrate to a product that has a bridge between informational intent and purchase intent. And I want to, so I want to create a content strategy and then I need like this intermediary asset. So for directive, an example is we have a Slack group called society. Mm-hmm. So my goal of my content strategy is not to get people to a proposal with directive. The goal of my content strategy is to get people into my Slack group and from my Slack group, get them to love my brand. And from the second they love my brand, I just need to wait for the timing to be right. So I'm not about trying to manipulate or control human actions. I'm trying to understand the nature of a buying journey as a human and then recognize that the biggest driver of sales actions is in, is timing, is intent. They have to need a new agency. And you can't just like, you know this, right? We can't show up there and have an agency. They're going to have to wait till that contract runs out or whatever. So my goal is to more focus on the brand and that connection between content and that next step. And I help our clients do that as well. It's interesting. It's just like such a very high, you know, empathy quotient over there with you guys. I, I think that's really interesting. I think one of the things I also wanted to dwell on that you mentioned, you started talking about keyword research. Yep. And I really like your approach to this. Um, but just the rudimentary parts of SEO for SaaS businesses could be challenging, whether that's keyword. We could use keyword yep. research as an example, but like this probably applies to link building or technical yep. or anything else. Like part of it would be for some SaaS companies, there's no awareness that this exists. Like it's, yep. it's not a yep. commodity product. It's, it's a brand new kind of thing. And so you need to raise awareness. So I'm just yep. thinking about keyword research. I'm going like, how do you do keyword research when there's no awareness of this? You must have a real sense of the buyer journey like you talked about. But how do you kind of think about some of these rudimentary SEO things that we take for granted? Everybody knows for Yeah, no, 100%. Right? It's like, it's no big deal. Yeah. That's a great question, Mark. Um, I think, you know, what I try to do here is first understand the jobs to be done. So I think a reason a lot of the demand doesn't exist is because we're like SaaS companies are obsessed with creating new categories. So what I like to do is understand that and then once again, pivot them slightly. So for example, we had a client uh, that we took on that we, we, we did very, very well with, you know, they were with us for, you know, four something years. Um, multiple CMOs. Like if you can go through multiple CMOs, you know, you're doing something right. So, um, the, their strategy was they were a subcontractor software, okay, which is kind of what you're speaking towards right now. The issue is most subcontractors don't know if software just for them exists. So they search right. for contractor software yeah. because they know that contractors have software. They don't think there's software for subcontractors. So what we would do is to validate a hypothesis, we would position them in what I call paying for SEO. So I would position them in Captera in software advice underneath the category of contractor software. Hmm. And then what I would do is I would use their product naming conventions to make it very obvious that they were subcontracting software. So you would exclude the bad clicks because you're, so you're very transparent about what you are, but then you can test out your hypothesis that there are people who want this that don't know your category exists. And then what you do is you have to not only drive awareness of your category through programmatic, paid social, and other types of uh, channels, but using first-party data, not third-party. And then what you do on the content side is you look at the jobs to be done of a subcontractor, right? How to pay an invoice as a subcontractor, how to do all the, see all the different pieces, right? That our product, the outcomes that our ideal customer persona needs from our product. 
that starts to give you what I call like this middle of funnel type content. And then you can start to build out your whole strategy around it. But most of what I do is I try to find the existing category, position someone in it, test that hypothesis that this could work, and then I go after it where there is demand. This is really smart. I, I like it very much. And then along the same lines, competitor research, like if you don't have competitor research, it's like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. Some of these companies may not even have a, have a competitor. Uh, yeah. How do you, as a SEO, like how do you even think about competitor research and how do you execute that? Is that even part of the, is that even part of the program? No, it's a huge part of it because this isn't against our clients, not against anybody. Nobody's as innovative as they think they are. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Mark. Yeah. Okay? So you get the client who's like, "No, there's nobody like us. We don't have a competitor." I'm like, "Okay, sure." So no one in the world is solving this problem. They're like, "Well, they solve it with Excel, or they solve it with this company, but we don't really compete with them." So. At the end of the day, there's always competitors. The question is, can you be empathetic enough with your customer to maybe make a couple jokes to get them to laugh a little and get them to start opening up about the truth of what they're really competing with? Because they might be right. They might be the only person in the world that does AI analytics for pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies north of Denver. I don't know, man. Whatever the heck it is, right? <laughs> and so you're like, well, are you sure? And you, when you start to build that out, it, it becomes to life. I think the big innovation, though, that I've been pushing is doing all your marketing to a total addressable market that you've already built into your database. Yeah. And so, like, I was just on a plane yesterday, and one of the questions I was asking myself, because if you think about what we're trying to do with content, if we pull away SEO, we pull about all this, what we're trying to do is we're trying to educate our ideal customer enough that they feel comfortable buying from us, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's really what we're trying to do. When And then other parts of SEO that are less scalable is like, I want to rank when people search for, you know, product analytics software, I want to be in the top five. But the truth is G2, Gartner, Forrester, Software Advice, GetApp, they're the ones who are probably going to be in the top five. So much of purchase intent these days has been cannibalized by review sites and Google ads. Mm -hmm. So most of our SEO strategies for scale and growth end up on informational intent. That makes sense. But now the problem is, is, the vast majority of traffic, as we know, if we look in GA, is waste, right? The vast majority of the problem with organic is when someone consumes your content, they're very rarely also able to buy from you. Right. So I asked the question, which was, how could I educate my TAM? In other words, at Directive, I've built out our entire total addressable market. And so when I'm running those gift cards, I'm not doing it based off of LinkedIn's targeting. I'm doing it based off of my own first-party data. Yeah. So there's no waste. I've already built all that and I've manually verified with 200 plus hours with interns and other people of the organization. I've manually verified every single solitary account. Let's say there's 10,000 of them. So my question is no longer how do I grow traffic to my website? The real question should be how do I educate those 10,000 accounts about the value we create for them? Makes perfect sense. So I always am trying to delete the waste of marketing and trying to put myself in a position of control whether that's getting someone to fill out a form or whether that's educating someone, I want no waste, which is people who, you know, ranking organically, people read it, but they can't buy from you because they're not the right person, right? So I'm always trying to delete waste and that directness creates a lot of scale. That's smart. A lot of the, uh, you know, you're very good, you're a very good businessman too. Right? So a lot of the really good businessmen are uh, clued in on this waste, all the, all the waste in, in ads and everything else that I've, I've talked to. You know, along the lines of being a businessman, I looked at your Twitter before we got on here. You've got a pin tweet 
Um, you're not going to make more money doing this, by the way, but you have a minimum wage at your at your agency. Uh, you kind of have followed the damn price strategy. Tell our audience a little bit about the minimum wage there and why you decided to go that way. Yeah, so it's a living wage, so it's going to keep going up. It's not pegged to some absolute number. It's based off of a study done by MIT, um, and it's not my research or anything. It's just a true research that it costs to live uh, in this country. Now, obviously, you can choose where you live. So I don't pay a living wage of San Francisco, right? I'm anchoring it to a universal living wage because our company is fully remote. Um, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that I want to only do great work. And I want everyone who works for me to be able to start a family, buy a home and have a life, not feel like they got to drive Uber after they've done, you know, eight hours of keyword research, which is the truth if you're making 45K living in anywhere, really. So, and that's what our industry pays. That's what I was paying, right? You got that 45 to 52 entry level kind of team member. And the market will hold it. Now, the irony is right when we just started to do that, you started to hear about, frankly, every agency I know is struggling to hire, right? right? Every Everybody is, even the restaurants, the coffee shops, the everybody, right? Because the truth is their unemployment pays better than we did as owners. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. the truth. And so I wanted to change that and I wanted to prove you could do both. You could pay really well and grow. So, I mean, since February, I went from right around 40 people to over 150 people uh, wow. by September. 40 to 150 yeah. Three and a half X. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And it's all from the marketing we do for ourselves. So, you know, we spend almost $2 million a year on our own go to market strategy. And then I use that as research and development. And so I test all my hypotheses, all my ideas of like how I would challenge the way we approach SEO or the way we approach Google ads or the way we approach review sites or the way we approach paid social or SEO. So I challenge all those hypotheses and then I get this controlled environment where I get control over gross margin, price, sales development, AEs, you know, and then from that I can show my clients, hey, like gift cards work, but it took me six months. Here's what you need to be aware of. Or hey, like organic works, but you need something between the demo and here for your brand to create equity, right? Here's why. And I can show them the data. I can tell a real story. And when you can tell a story like that, it's hard to beat us in a pitch. You know what I mean? For, I can I can only imagine. Well, I mean, I think this is this is fascinating. And then, so, have you experienced? You you mentioned it. Everybody, no matter what industry they're in, is having a hard time hiring people. Have yeah. you have you just like not experienced that, or do you still experience that, or is it minimized? Do you think how how are you navigating with this minimum wage you've got? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's very easy with the living wage to get mid-level talent. But I think, you know, the truth is, is a lot of our talent was already, you know, making a lot of this because we have a consultative model here and we have premium pricing so we can afford to hire, you know, the best of the best. Um, I think the harder part is what we're all dealing with as a society, which is after a while, you can't just keep being mad at COVID. You got somebody, you got to have somebody new to blame, right? Like that's the truth. And I think a lot of us are eating that corporate wise. So I think there is, you know, a lot of churn right now. There's a lot of people reassessing their lives. There's a lot of introspection. So, I mean, I've hired a lot more than a hundred and whatever people to, to get to 150. I mean, we've had a lot of struggles of just how do you support people who are going through a once in a generation moment of, 
of COVID-19 and empathize and listen and adjust your culture and listen better, onboard slower because people aren't in a space right now. They're isolated. They're not together in an office. For all the people who love remote work, there's some serious cultural benefits of getting to interact with each other physically versus virtually. And, you know, it's easy for the employer to be the reason why you're unhappy with your life. And I'm not saying we're perfect at all. I'm just saying that's a real reality. I mean, I'm blaming my own work half the time for why I'm frustrated with my own life, right? Like we're all doing this right now. It's a very difficult time to exist as a human. And so I'm just mostly trying to empathize with that and then create, like we have 100% healthcare coverage here. Like we have 70K living wage. Like I'm trying to push the needle of what corporate responsibility could be while also showing you can drive a profit and in our case, right, be no debt and fully self-funded with like, you know, 20 bucks. I've never even put a dollar into this company. So, you know, you can do it. You just have to be disciplined and build, you have to build up the value of your product or your service so you can increase your rates and that can create your margin. So, you know, it's a little bit of what we're trying to do here. That's an amazing story and congratulations to you and everybody there. I think it's a it's a bold move. I mean, it's a, you're, you're zigging when a lot of agencies are zagging uh, to try and stay there at $45,000 and make the owners more money and make uh, everybody's bonuses bigger and everything else. So I, I, I compliment you. Um, well, I want to shift gears to everyone's favorite part of the show. This is where Greg Gifford has a question for the guest. I have, he gives me no context, so I don't know anything about this. And so it's a little bit of a high wire act for both of us. I love it for you. He said, uh, Hurt me. Are you an expert at playing pool, maybe, or like playing playing the game of billiards, or what is this? What is this story about? I'm dangerous with a stick, but no, um, I uh, no, I love any type of competitive thing, man. At the end of the day, I love being bad at stuff, right? So I'll try to get good at golf. I'll be shooting like 110. I'll be like, I'm gonna break 80, right? And then I'll <laughs> just practice every day, and you can do it. Uh, I was, I think I was telling this to Greg, and you know, I like to tell everybody, it's like. The barrier to entry to getting better at something is so low, all of us just have to be a little bit more disciplined, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you read a book every day for 30 minutes, you're reading 30 minutes more than every one of your competitors, <laughs> right? And it adds up. You want to get good at pool? Why don't you just play pool once a week? You now probably play pool more than 99% of everybody else you're ever going to play just once a week. Yeah. And so my point being is, like, if you enjoy the process of being bad and then getting good, it's really amazing what you can kind of do with your life because you can constantly add tools to your toolbox by just being comfortable in your own crap. You know what I mean? Like a lot of us, our egos get in the way and so we're not willing to do things we're bad at. And what I try to do is just try to keep my ego out of my way as much as possible. I'm not very good at it in all honesty, but that's what I'm trying to do so I can learn new skills and, you know, go through that process of being bad at things and being okay with it. Well, we should compare notes. If you ever got any idea, let me know. But I think, uh, <laughs> I think you got a lot of you got a lot of reason to be proud. So uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think you're a really interesting. Like your the empathy quotient, like I said, is off the charts, and uh, you just seem like a heck of a business guy. So I've well, I've really you. enjoyed the conversation. I'm going to give you a virtual cheers from Chicago. And hey, cheers! You know, <laughs> hope, hope to see you on the road sometime. Uh, if yeah. people are looking to get in touch with you, how should they do that? What's your favorite social media? What's uh, yeah. I'm most active on Twitter. I guess that's just like what our industry does, especially on the SEO side. So I kind of got into that, you know, when I joined this industry and I learned from everybody. I learned from Greg, learned from I'm sure you and everybody else who's been there and done it. So 
I'm mostly on Twitter. I do two live shows a week, and then I've got this free Slack group that you can DM me any question you want and my whole growth team. And so we do free advice and consulting. It's called Society. Um, check it out. It's got over a thousand members now. It's pretty active. It's like if you know you got a question like, "Hey, I got a hundred thousand dollars, and I don't know whether to put it on software advice or Captera." We'll we'll uh, we'll help you get to the bottom of it, sh- share data, and help you figure out the right answers free of charge. So if you need some advice or support, uh, and you're in software, uh, check out Society, and you know I'd be happy to help in any way I can. Well, awesome. Well, well Gary, this has been awesome. I'm going to sign off for now, but we'll be back next week for another episode of Southern Search. Uh, Look forward to seeing you on the road, Garrett. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Mark.